Section 11 of The Vertical City. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Lisa Reichert. The Vertical City by Fanny Hurst. Section 11. Guilty. Part 1. To the swift hiss of rain down soot-greasy window-panes, and through a medley of the smells of steam off wet overcoats, and a pale stench of fish, a judge turned rather tired Friday afternoon eyes upon the prisoner at the bar, a smallish man in a decent enough salt-and-pepper suit, and more salt than pepper in his hair and moustache. "'You have heard the charge against you,' intoned the judge, in the holy and righteous key of justice about to be administered. "'Do you plead guilty or not guilty?' "'I—I I plead guilty of not having told her facts that would have helped her to struggle against the—the the thing, her inheritance.' "'You must answer the court directly. Do you—' "'You see, your honour, my little girl, so little, my promise. Yes, yes, I—' I plead guilty of keeping her in ignorance of what she should have known. But you see, your honour, my little girl— Order! Answer to the point. Do you, began the judge again, plead guilty or not guilty? His tongue chiming the repetition into the waiting silence, like a clapper into a bell. The prisoner at the bar thumbed his derby hat, after the immemorial dry-fingered fashion of the hunted meek his mouth like an open wound puckering to close. "'Guilty or not guilty, my man, out with it!' Actually, it was not more than a minute or two before the prisoner found reply, but it was long enough for his tortured eye to flash inward and backward with terrible focus. On its long cross-town block, Mrs. Plush's boarding-house repeated itself no less than thirty-odd times. Every front hall of them smelled like cold-boiled potato, and the gilt chair in the parlour like banana. At dinner hour, thirty-odd basement dining-rooms reverberated, not uncheerfully, to the ironstone clatter of the canary-bird bathtub of succotash, the three stewed prunes, or the redolent boiled potato, and on Saturday mornings, almost to the thirty-odd of them, wasp-waisted, oiled-haired young negro girls, in white cotton stockings and cut-down high shoes, enormously and rather horribly run down of the heel, tilted pints of water over steep stone stoops, and scratched at the trickle with old broom runts. If Mrs. Plush's house broke rank at all, it did so by praiseworthy omission. In that row of the fly-by-night and the van-by-day, the moving or the express wagon seldom backed up before number twenty-eight except immediately preceding a wedding or following a funeral and never in twenty-two years of respectable tenancy had the furtive lodger oozed under darkness through the plush front door by night or a huddle of sidewalk trunks and trappings staged the drab domestic tragedy of the dispossessed the Kellers, second story back, had eaten their satisfied way through fourteen years of the breakfasts, of applesauce or cereal, choice of ham and eggs or any style of country sausage and buckwheat cakes. Jeanette Peeping, born in the back parlour, was married out of the front. On the night that marked the seventeenth anniversary of the Dangs into the third-floor alcove room, there was frozen pudding with hot fudge sauce for dessert, and a red paper bell ringing silently from the dining-room chandelier. 
for the eight years of their placid connubiality mr and mrs henry jett had occupied the second-story front stability that was the word why mrs plush had dealt with her corner butcher for so long that on crowded saturday mornings it was her custom to step without challenge into the icy zone of the huge refrigerator herself pinching and tearing back the cold storage bitten wings of fowls weighing them with a fidelity to the ounce except for a few extra giblets mr keller loved them hers anyhow most of the time for the asking in the nearest drug store wary of that row of the transient hat on the peg off the peg would deliver to number twenty eight a mustard plaster or a deck of cards and charge without question to the jet fish company steamers hotels and restaurants supplied if it swims we have it mrs plush paid her bill quarterly only then mr jett deducting the sum delicately from his board so it may be seen that mrs plush's boarding-house offered scanty palate to the dauber in local colour on each of the three floors was a bathroom spotlessly clean with a neat hand-lettered sign over each tin tub do unto others as you would have them do unto you please wash out the tub after you upon the outstanding occasion of the fly in the soup and mrs keller's subsequent deathly illness the regrettable immersion had been directly traceable not to the kitchen but to the dining-room ceiling it was november a season of heavy dipterous mortality besides mrs peeping had seen it fall nor entered here the dirge of the soggy towel mrs plush placed fluffy stacks of them outside each door each morning nor groggy coffee mrs plush was famous for hers drip coffee boiled up to an angry sea and half an eggshell dropped in like a fairy bark to settle it the jets with whom we have really to do drank two cups apiece at breakfast mrs jett to the slight aid and abetment of one of her two rolls stopped right there mr jett plunging on into choice of the second roll mrs jett usually carried away with her from the table along about ten o'clock she was apt to feel faint rather than hungry gone she called it feeling a little gone not that there was a suggestion of frailty about mrs jett anything but that on the contrary in all the eight years in the boarding-house she held the clean record of not a day in bed and although her history previous to that time showed as many as fifteen hours a day on duty in the little fancy-goods store of her own proprietorship those years showed her guilty of only two incapacitated days and then because she ran an embroidery needle under her finger-nail and suffered a slight infection yet there was something about emma jett eight years of married life had not dissipated it that was not eupeptic something of the sear and yellow leaf of perpetual spinsterhood she was a wintry little body whose wide marriage band always hung loosely on her finger with an air of not belonging wore an invariably knitted shawl iced with beads across her round shoulders and frizzed her greying bangs which although fruit of her scalp had a set-on look even the softness to her kind grey eyes was cosy rather than warm she could look out tabbily from above a lap of handiwork 
but in her boudoir wrapper of grey flannelette scalloped in black she was scrawny almost rangy like a horse whose ribs show i can no more imagine those two courting mrs keller a proud twin herself and proud mother of twins remarked one afternoon to a euchre group they must have sat company by correspondence why they won't even kiss when he comes home if there's anybody in the room they kiss all right volunteered mrs dang of the bay window alcove room and she waves him good-bye every morning clear down the block you can't tell about anybody nowadays vouchsafed someone tremendously but in the end the consensus of opinion unanimous to the vote was lovely woman mrs jett nice couple so unassuming the goodness looks out of her face and so reserved but it was this aura of reserve that kept mrs jett not without a bit of secret heartache about it as remote from the little world about her as the yolk of an egg is remote from the white surrounded yet no part of those surroundings no osmosis took place almost daily in some one or another's room over honiton lace or the making of steel bead chatelaine bags then so much in vogue those immediate plushy-voiced gatherings of the members of the plain gold circle took place delicious hours of confidence confab and the exchanges of the connubially loquacious the supreme laisse majeste of the married woman who wears her state of wedlock like a crown of blessed thorns bleeds ecstatically and swaps afternoon-long intimacies made nasty by the plush in her voice with her sisters of the matrimonial dynasty mrs jett was also bidden by her divine right to these conclaves of the wives and faithfully she attended but on the rim as it were bitterly silent she sat to the swap of that's nothing after jeanette was born my hair began to fall out just as if i had had typhoid or both of mine i am proud to say were bottle babies and once as she listened her heart might have been a persimmon puckering the idea for a woman of forty-five to have her first it's not fair to the child they could not of course articulate it but the fact of the matter was not alone that mrs jett was childless so was mrs dang who somehow belonged it was that they sensed with all the antennae of their busy little intuitions the ascetic odour of spinsterhood which clung to mrs jett she was a little too nice would flush at some of the innuendos of the conte intime tales of no lustre and dulled by soot but in spite of an inner shrinkage would loop up her mouth to smile because not to do so was to linger even more remotely outside the privileged rim of the wedding band evenings after these gatherings mrs jett was invariably even a bit gentler than her wont in her greetings to mr jett of course they kissed upon his arrival home comment to the contrary notwithstanding in a taken-for-granted fashion perhaps but there was something sweet about their utter unexcitement and had the afternoon session twisted her heart more than usual mrs jett was apt to place a second kiss lightly upon the black and ever so slightly white moustache or lay her cheek momentarily to his as if to atone by thus yearning over him for the one aching and silent void between them but in the main henry jett was a contented and happy man 
his wife whom he had met at a church social and wooed in the front of the embroidery and fancy goods store fitted him like the proverbial glove a suede one in the eight years since his fish business had almost doubled his expenses if anything decreased because more and more it became pleasanter to join in the evening game of no stakes euchre down in the front parlour or to remain quietly upstairs a gas-lamp on the table between them mr jett in a dressing-gown of hand-embroidered persian design and a newspaper which he read from first to last mrs jett at her tranquil process of fine needlework their room abounded in specimens of it centrepieces of rose design mounds of cushions stamped in bulldog's head and pipe appropriately etched in coloured floss a poker hand upheld by realistic five fingers embroidered to the life and the cuff button denoted by a blue glass jewel across their bed making it a daze of incongruous splendour was flung a great counterpane of embroidered linen in design as narrative as a battle-surging tapestry and every thread in it woven out of those long quiet evenings by the lampside he was exceedingly proud of her cunning with a needle so fine that its stab through the cloth was too slight to be seen and would lose no occasion to show off the many evidences of her delicate workmanship that were everywhere about the room it's like being able to create a book or a piece of music em to say all that on a piece of cloth with nothing but a needle it's a good thing i am able to create something henry placing her thimbled hand on his shoulder and smiling down she was slightly the taller it was remarkable how quick and how tender his intuitions could be an innuendo from her faint as the brush of a wing and he would immediately cluck with his tongue and throw out quite a bravado of chest you're all right em you suit me and you suit me henry stroking his hand this he withdrew it was apt to smell of fish and he thought that once or twice he had noticed her draw back from it and anyway he was exceedingly delicate about the cling of the rottenly pungent fish odour of his workadays not that he minded personally he had long ago ceased to have any consciousness of the vapours that poured from the bins and the incoming catches into his little partitioned-off office but occasionally he noticed that in street-cars noses would begin to crinkle around him and every once in a while even in a crowded conveyance he would find himself the centre of a little oasis of vacant seats which he had created around himself immediately upon his arrival home although his hands seldom touched the fish he would wash them in a solution of warm water and carbolic acid and most of the time he changed his suit before dinner from a salt and pepper to a pepper and salt the only sartorial variety in which he ever indulged his wife was invariably touched by this little nicety of his and sometimes bravely forced his hand to her cheek to prove her lack of repugnance boarding-house lore had it correctly they were an exceedingly nice couple the jets one day in autumn with the sky the colour and heaviness of a linhaven oyster mrs jett sat quite unusually forward on her chair at one of the afternoon congresses of the wives convened in mrs peeping's back parlour jeanette peeping aged four sweet and blonde whom the jets loved to borrow sunday mornings while she was still in her little night-dress playing paper dolls in the background 
her embroidery hoop with a large shaded pink rose in the working, had, contrary to her custom, fallen from idle hands, and instead of following the dart of the infinitesimal needle, Mrs. Jett's eyes were burningly upon Mrs. Peeping, following with almost lip-reading intensity that worthy lady's somewhat voluptuous mouthings. She was a large, light person, with protuberant blue eyes that looked as if at some time they had been two-thirds choked from their sockets, and a characteristic opening every sentence, with her mouth shaped to an explosive O, which she filled with as much breath as it would hold. It had been a long tale of obstetrical fact and fancy, told plushily, of course, against the dangerous little ears of Jeanette, and at its conclusion Mrs. Peeping's steel-bead bag, half-finished, lay in a huddle at her feet, her pink and flabby face turned reminiscently toward the fire. "'And for three days six doctors gave me up. Why, I didn't see Jeanette until the fourteenth day, when most women are up and out. The crisis, you know. My night nurse, an awful sweet girl, I send her a Christmas present to this day, said if I had been six years younger it wouldn't have gone so hard with me.' I always say if the men knew what we women go through, maybe if some of them had to endure the real pain themselves, they would have something to do besides walk up and down the hall and turn pale at the smell of ether coming through the keyhole. Ah, oh, me, I've been a great sufferer in my day. Da, da, da. And I could tell tales. And I've been through my share from various points of vantage around the speaker. It was then that Mrs. Jett sat forward on the edge of the straight chair and put her question. There was a pause after it had fallen into the silence, as if an intruder had poked her head in through the door, and it brought only the most negligible answer from Mrs. Peeping. Forty-three. Almost immediately Mrs. Dang caught at the pause for a case in point that had been trembling on her lips all during Mrs. Peeping's recital. A doctor once told a second cousin of my sister-in-law's, and so on, ad infinitum, ad lib, and ad nauseum. That night Mrs. Jett did an unprecedented thing. She crept into the crevice of her husband's arm from behind, as he stood in his waistcoat, washing his hands in the carbolic solution at the bowl and washstand. He turned, surprised, unconsciously placing himself between her and the reeky water. "'Henry,' she said, rubbing up against the alpaca back to his vest like an ingratiating Maltese tabby. "'Henry!' "'In a minute, Em,' he said, rather puzzled, and wishing she would wait. Suddenly, swinging herself back from him by his waistcoat lapel, easily, because of his tenseness to keep her clear of the bowl of water, she directed her eyes straight into his. "'Henry! Henry!' each pronouncement of his name surging higher in her throat. Why, Em? Henry, I haven't words sweet enough to tell you. Em, tell what? He stopped. He could see suddenly that her eyes were full of little pins of light, and his lightening intuition performed a miracle of understanding. Emmy, he cried, jerking her so that her breath jumped, and at the sudden drench of tears down her face, sat her down, supporting her roundish back with his wet hands, although he himself felt weak. "'I can't say what I feel, Henry, only God is good, and I'm not afraid.' 
he held her to his shoulder and let her tears rain down into his watch pocket so shaken that he found himself mouthing silent words god is good henry isn't he yes emmy yes oh my emmy it must have been our prayers henry well sheepishly not exactly mine emmy you're the saint of this family but i-i've wished henry i'm so happy mrs peeping had jeanette at forty-three three years older than me i'm not afraid it was then he looked down at her graying head there prone against his chest and a dart of fear smote him emmy he cried dragging her tear-happy face up to his if you're afraid not for anything in the world you're first em she looked at him with her eyes two lamps afraid that's the beautiful part henry i'm not only happy why afraid henry if others dare it at forty-three you mean because it was her second he faced her with a scorch of embarrassment in his face you we well we're not spring chickens any more em if you are sure it's not to she hugged him laughing her tears i'm all right henry we've been too happy not to to perpetuate it this time he did not answer his cheek was against the crochet of her yoke and she could hear his sobs with her heart miraculously like an amoeba reaching out to enclose unto itself the circle opened with a gasp of astonishment that filled mrs peeping's o to its final stretch and took unto its innermost emma jett nor did she wear her initiation lightly there was a new tint out in her long cheeks and now her chair a rocker was but one removed from mrs peeping's oh the long sweet afternoons over garments that made needlework sublime no longer the padded rose on the centerpiece or the futile doily but absurd little dresses with sleeves that she measured to the length of her hand and yokes cut out to the pattern of a playing card and all fretted over with feather stitching that was frailer than maidenhair fern and must have cost many an eye ache which because of its source was easy to bear and there happened to mrs jett that queer juvenescence that sometimes comes to men and women in middle life she who had enjoyed no particular youth her father had died in a ferry-boat crash two weeks before her birth and her mother three years after came suddenly to acquire comeliness which her youth had never boasted the round-shouldered long-cheeked girl had matured gingerly to rather sparse womanhood that now at forty relented back to a fulsome thirty perhaps it was the tint of light out in her face perhaps the splendour of the vision but at any rate in those precious months to come mrs jett came to look at herself as she should have looked ten years back they were timid and really very beautiful together she and henry jett he came to regard her as a vase of porcelain and in his ignorance regarded the doctor's mandates harsh would not permit her to walk but ordered a handsome cab every day from three to four mrs jett alternating punctiliously with each of the boarding-house ladies for driving companion every noon for her delectation at luncheon he sent a boy from the store with a carton of her special favourites blue point oysters she suddenly liked them small because as she put it they went down easier and he thought that charming 
lynn-havens for mortals of tougher growth. Long evenings they spent at names, exercising their predetermination as to sex. Anne was her choice, and he was all for cancelling his preference for Elizabeth, until one morning she awakened to the white light of inspiration. I have it. Why not Anne Elizabeth? Great! And whistled so through his shaving that his mouth was rayed with a dark sunburst of beard, where the razor had not found surface. They talked of housekeeping, reluctantly, it is true, because Mrs. Plush herself was fitting up, of hard-to-spare evenings, a bassinet of pink and white. They even talked of schools. Then came the inevitable time when Mrs. Jett lost interest. Quite out of a clear sky, even the blue points were taboo, and instead of joining this or that card or sewing circle, there were long afternoons of stitching away alone, sometimes the smile out on her face, sometimes not. M, is it all right with you?' Henry asked her once or twice, anxiously. "'Of course it is. If I weren't this way now, it wouldn't be normal. You don't understand.' He didn't, so could only be vaguely and futilely sorry. Then one day something quite horrible, in a small way, happened to Mrs. Jett. Sitting sewing, suddenly it seemed to her that through the very fluid of her eyeballs, as it were, floated a school of fish. Small ones, young smelts, perhaps, with oval lips, fillips to their tails, and sides that glisted. She laid down her bit of linen lawn, fingers to her lids as if to squeeze out their tiredness. She was trembling from the unpleasantness, and for a frightened moment could not swallow. Then she rose, shook out her skirts, and to be rid of the moment carried her sewing up to Mrs. Dang's, where a euchre game was in session, and by a few adroit questions in between deals gained the reassurance that a nervous state in her condition was highly normal. She felt easier. But there was the same horrid recurrence three times that week, once during an evening of lotto down in the front parlour, she pushed back from the table suddenly, hand flashing up to her throat. "'M!' said Mr. Jett, who was calling the numbers. "'It's nothing,' she faltered, and then, regaining herself more fully, "'Nothing,' she repeated, the roundness out in her voice this time. The women exchanged knowing glances. "'She's all right,' said Mrs. Peeping, omnipotently. "'Those things pass.' Going upstairs that evening, alone in the hallway, they flung an arm each across the other's shoulder, crowding playfully up the narrow flight. "'Emmy,' he said, "'poor M. Everything will be all right.' She restrained an impulse to cry. "'Poor nothing,' she said. But neither the next evening, which was Friday, nor for Fridays thereafter, would she venture down for fish dinner dining cosily up in her room off milk toast and a fluffy meringue dessert prepared especially by mrs plush it was floating island night downstairs henry puzzled a bit over the fridays it was his heaviest day at the business and it was upsetting to come home tired and feel her place beside him at the basement dinner-table vacant but the women's nods were more knowing than ever the reassuring insinuations more and more delicate but one night, out of one of those stilly cisterns of darkness that between two and four are deepest with sleep, 
henry was awakened on the crest of such a blow and yell that he swam up to consciousness in a ready-made armour of high-napped goose-flesh a regrettable thing had happened awakened too on the high tide of what must have been a disturbing dream mrs jett flung out her arm as if to ward off something that arm encountered henry snoring lightly in his sleep at her side but unfortunately to that frightened fling of her arm henry did not translate himself to her as henry that was a fish lying there beside her a man-sized fish with its mouth jerked open to the shape of a gasp and the philip still threw its enormous body as if its flanks were uncomfortably dry a fish with a shriek that tore a jagged rent through the darkness mrs jett began pounding on the slippery flanks her hands sliding off its shininess out out henry where are you help me oh god don't let him get me take him away henry where are you my hands slippery where are you stunned feeling for her in the darkness he wanted to take her shuddering form into his arms and waken her out of this horror but with each groping move of his her hurtling shrieks came faster and finally dragging the bedclothing with her she was down on the floor at the bedside blobbering that is the only word for it blobbering he found a light and by this time there were already other lights flashing up in the startled household when he saw her there in the ague of a huddle on the floor beside the bed a cold sweat broke out over him so that he could almost feel each little explosion from the pores why emmy emmy my emmy my emmy she saw him now and knew him and tried in her poor and already burningly ashamed way to force her chattering jaws together henry dream bed fish henry he drew her up to the side of the bed, covering her shivering knees as she sat there, and throwing a blanket across her shoulders. Fortunately, he was aware that the soothing note in his voice helped, and so he sat down beside her, stroking her hand, stroking, almost as if to hypnotize her into quiet. "'Henry,' she said, closing her fingers into his wrists, "'I must have dreamed, a horrible dream. Get back to bed, dear, I—' i don't know what ails me waking up like that that fish oh god henry hold me hold me he did lulling her with a thousand repetitions of his limited store of endearments and he could feel the jerk of sobs in her breathing subside and she seemed almost to doze sitting there with her far hand across her body and up against his cheek then came knocks at the door and hurried explanations through the slit that he opened and mrs peopling's eye close to the crack everything is all right just a little bad dream that missus had all right now to be expected of course no nothing anyone can do good night sorry no thank you everything is all right the remainder of the night the jets kept a small light burning after a while henry dropping off into exhausted and heavy sleep for hours mrs jett lay staring at the small bud of light no larger than a human eye it seemed to stare back at her, warning, Now don't you go dropping off to sleep and misbehave again. And holding herself tense against a growing drowsiness, she didn't, for fear. End of Guilty, Part 1